Chapter 2 of the Story of George Fox by Rufus Jones. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Richard Vogel, The Youth Seeking for Light. If George Fox had not been different from other boys, he would very quickly have got over his strange sorrow on account of other people's shams. He would not have allowed that to spoil his appetite and disturb his sleep. But he was different from other boys, and he could not get over his sorrow and depression. The world seemed one great question mark to him, and he didn't care about living if he could not find an answer to his mysteries. He was 19 years old when in 1643 he started out on his wanderings. He went to a great many English towns, and he seems to have tried in each place to find somebody who could help him out of his darkness into light. He had heard that there were people scattered over England and out-of-the-way places who were discovering new truths about God and man and life and the Church of Christ, and he hoped that he might fall in with some person or persons who could set him on the right track. England was seething with eagerness and enthusiasm. Religion was the main business and the great matter. George Fox was not the only one who was endeavoring then to find a fresh way of life. It was a seeking age, and all sorts of new ideas were in the air, like thistledown in autumn. Drayton was a little hamlet, and nobody came there with new thoughts and fresh truths. If George was to discover anything deep enough and great enough to satisfy his perplexed soul, he knew that he must go out and hunt for it. And hunt he surely did. Everybody who was serious then was reading the Bible. Only a little while before this, in 1611, it had been translated into the wonderful English of the King James Version. There was no other book like it. It was the most interesting one that had ever been put into a boy's hand, and George, like all other serious persons then, was reading and rereading it. Often in his lonely room in some town where he knew nobody, he would read and meditate till the sun went down. Other times he would walk in the fields which he loved with a kind of poetic passion and sit in hollow trees or on the sheltered bank of a brook and read the book that told him about God and man's true life. In his travels in pursuit of truth, he went to London, but it seemed like a great dark Babylon to him. He could find everything there but the one thing he was seeking. The city was full of interesting sights and wonderful things, but he could not find there any guide for his soul. He had an uncle named Pickering in London, who was a Baptist. But though the uncle and his Baptist friends were tender, by which George Fox means serious, spiritual, earnest, sincere, devout, George felt that he could not get any help from them. He found that he could not talk freely with them about his condition, that they did not understand his troubles, and that he could not join them. London had no message of light for him. John Milton was there, and John Pym was there, two Johns who were well-beloved disciples of liberty, and the great Oliver. But even if he had found them, 
they could not have helped him in his difficult quest. He heard that his parents and other relatives were troubled over his absence from home, and so he came back from London to Fenny Drayton. Some of his relatives, who did not understand him, advised him to take a bride, as the same kind of people once told St. Francis of Assisi to do. But George told him he was seeking for wisdom, not for a wife. Others urged him to become a soldier and take his part in the Civil War. But he felt that fighting with swords could not cure his soul or remove his load of trouble. At Drayton, he talked much with priest Stevens, who sometimes preached on Sunday the things which he had heard George say during the week. But the Puritan minister had no message of help for righteous Christer's son. He was, to George, only a professor and not a tender man, nor a real guide of souls. He tried many other priests in the neighboring towns in the hope that they might have more light than the Drayton minister could give him, but they proved to be no better than he. One told him to try tobacco. Another advised him to sing hymns. Some got angry with him, and some made fun of him. But in one thing they were all alike. They had no light for him. They all seemed to him miserable comforters. He walked seven miles to consult a priest at Tamworth, but he found him to be like the rest, a hollow, empty cask without anything inside. His sorrow and depression went so deep into his soul that it finally broke down his health and brought him into a dangerous physical and mental condition. He was a poor, forlorn soul, in a world of utter mystery. But it is sometimes darkest just before dawn. And so it proved to be now in George's case. Two years he had wandered about without any relief to his mind. He had found the ministers in the churches much more empty than he expected to find them. He discovered nobody who seemed to be a real prophet and could speak living words of truth for God. But gradually, in 1646, he began to realize that God himself was speaking to him in his own soul. Truths seemed to flash into his mind like wavy streamers of northern lights. He would suddenly see a truth as though electric signs were signaled to him from a central station. It dawned upon him that God was the same now as when he revealed messages to prophets in olden times could still reveal his will. He saw that temples and churches were not the most holy places. The soul of man itself was the really holy place, for God and man could meet therein. He saw that any man could be a priest if he only learned how to hear the voice of God within his soul and to obey it, and could tell others how to hear it and understand it. To do this, one would not need to study theology for years and years in a university. It would only be necessary that one should be quick and sensitive to hear the divine voice in the soul and be ready and eager to do what God revealed there. As these truths flashed into George Fox's inner soul, they gave him thrills of joy and relieved him, while they lasted, of his depression 
but he was not yet sure enough of his new discovery to believe in it all the time. It would come in happy moments and then slip away and leave him discouraged again. It was a kind of a seesaw life, now up in the heights of vision and now down in the flats of life with no blue sky in sight. The same old wanderings continued as though he were on a new quest for the Holy Grail. The search for helpers went on, and the restless youth pored over the pages of the Bible until he knew them almost or quite by heart. At last, one great and memorable day, he discovered something which lasted. He saw a truth which did not vanish away. He saw that Jesus Christ, who lived in Palestine centuries ago and helped men out of their sin and weakness, their sorrow and trouble, was still alive and unchanged in love and goodness. The only difference was that then he walked about in a body like other men and could be in only one place at one time. Now he came as a spirit within the soul and could be in all places at once, helping and healing, comforting and blessing all who needed him, just as thousands of people at the same time can all have the warmth and light of the one sun. In the stillness of his soul, George heard Christ speaking to him so clearly that he could not mistake it. I heard a voice, he wrote in his journal, which said, There is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to thy condition. And when I heard it, my heart did leap for joy. He felt now that he knew Christ in the same way that one knows a human friend. He had met him. He had found him. It was an experience and not a guess. The Holy Grail, then, was to be found within and not in a distant country. It was as though he now had a pass key, a master key, which would open any door where he wanted to enter. He had discovered something better than men, better than priests, better than books, the living Christ who could speak and teach and live in his own heart, just as the light and heat and power of the distant sun can be present here on earth where we need light and heat and power. Nobody can correctly understand George Fox and nobody can properly read the story of his remarkable life of heroism without hearing first what happened in his soul. We are so used to having all our stories tell about things that happen in the world which we see with our eyes that it will seem odd to begin with this other kind of story of what took place inside where there were no windows for anyone to look in. Most of our heroes just do things and we read about their deeds and are thrilled. Here we have a hero who cared more about being than about doing. It seemed to him no use to go out and do a lot of things if your soul was all wrong and your life all twisted out of shape. That was just the kind of sham which he hated most. He wanted to be so clear and transparent that if men or even God looked through him, there would be only fair and beautiful things to see in the inside part of himself where he lived. Something like having God look through him did happen to George Fox. He thought he heard God say to him, 
My love was always to thee, and thou art in my love. And another time when he was walking in the fields, which always seemed full of God, he heard a voice that said, Thy name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing else in the universe seemed so certain to him as the love of God. He might lose his eyes as John Milton had done, and then he would not be able to see the hills and trees and sky, but he could not lose his real inside eyes, which saw the infinite love of God. He knew there was evil in the world, that there were pain, sorrow, and death, but greater than all these was the God who still loved and in the end would conquer. He says, I saw that there was an ocean of darkness and death, but an infinite ocean of light and love flowed over the ocean of darkness. In that, I saw the infinite love of God. Of course, a man who sees a thing like that can be brave. Nothing on earth can defeat him or conquer him. He has the key of his destiny in his own hand. End of chapter 2